that's my boy. <laughs> this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, then I will plague all of your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up and go into your palace, into your bedroom, and on your bed, into the houses of your officials and your people, and into your ovens and kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you, your people, and all of your officials. The Lord then said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, and ponds, and cause the frogs to come up onto the land of Egypt. And when Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing by their occult practices and brought frogs up onto the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Appeal to the Lord to remove the frogs from me and my people, and then I will let the people go, and they can sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, You may have the honor of choosing. When should I appeal on behalf of you, your officials, and your people? Let the frogs be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the Nile. Tomorrow, he answered. Moses replied, as you have said, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will go away from you, your houses, your officials, and your people. The frogs will remain only in the Nile. And after Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord for help concerning the frogs that he had brought against Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses had said. The frogs in the houses, courtyards, and fields died. They piled them in countless heaps, and there was a terrible odor in the land. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. All right. Thank you, Matt. You may be seated. Let's pray a little bit as you're seated. So right now is an opportunity for you to pray. Make sure that your heart is right, that you're ready to hear what God's got for you this morning. So God, we just pray right now that you'll open our spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray something like that this morning right now? Just in your heart between you and God. Help me to hear what I need to hear and to see what I need to see from your word, oh God. God, just help me to see if there's any, where I'm deceived, any blind spots. Holy Spirit, I ask you to rebuke me where I need to be rebuked, encourage my heart where I need to be encouraged. So God, we give this time over to you right now. We just pray that your kingdom authority rule would just reign and rule over every aspect of what happens right now. Just remove distractions from our heart and our mind. God, just help us to focus in on you and your word and what you've got for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Yeah, so this morning we're going to, but what an interesting story that Matt just read to us about the frogs, huh? I mean, there's like nothing intimidating about a frog, but man, a frogs, too many of them can be quite a nuisance. So this morning we're talking about false repentance and true repentance. Um, you know, I know that you know this song right here. It's kind of like a very famous song here in our world today. But theologically, I wouldn't say that it's just right along a line with the Bible that, you know, for Jesus to take the will. Maybe you might be feeling that right now. But I would say more theologically correct than that would be, I'm in the wrong car, Jesus. 
See, because Jesus takes the will, I mean, that's so much like our American culture Christianity. It's kind of like, you know, you know I've got this. I'm driving along. Well, it's out of control now, so Jesus take the will. But then here's what we do. We want to take the will back and go back to driving when we get, you know, I, I want to, you know, the captain of our own ship. Isn't that kind of what we hear, you know, in our world, you know? Well, you know, the thing about it is that I don't want to be in my own ship because I'll end up shipwrecked. I want to be in the ship with Jesus. I want to have discipleship. We're going to talk about ship. I want to be in with him. I want him to be the one. I want to be in his car. Matter of fact, not only do I want to be in his car, I want to be a captive in his car. I want the cage between me and the front where I can't even get to the steering wheel. So we talk about false repentance and true repentance. I would say that that lines up. Jesus take the will. No disrespect to Carrie Underwood and the people who wrote the song, but I'm saying Let's rethink this, and maybe it's not that I need Jesus taking the will. Maybe it's that I need to get in the right car. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5 through 6, but he, this is written 600 years before Jesus was born. It's written as if it had already happened, because in heaven it had already happened. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, speaking of Jesus. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Mm. Look at this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all strayed away. Anybody want to say amen this morning in the church? We have left God's path to follow our own. We got out of his car and got in our own car. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all, and that's why we are here this morning, and that's what the Christmas season should be all about. That's why he came. I mean, our sins, he took our sin debt that we could not pay, and he not only paid our sin debt in full, but then he accredited to our account his righteousness. So it's not that it's all even between you and God. You got that right? You know that just all of your sins have been forgiven, but Christ's righteousness has been imputed into your account. You can't ever outspend that, by the way. That doesn't give us a license to sin. Oh, wow, man, I got Christ's righteousness now. I can go do what I want to do. Okay, so that would be like saying, oh, I'm married now. I can go do whatever I want to do. Is that, what, is, that the, is, that a, is that a healthy marriage? No. Quite the opposite, isn't it? We're, we're called the bride of Christ as far as the Bible is concerned. A few more verses before we get to our sermon. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. We've got a sin nature we are battling. As the scripture says, no one is righteous in and of ourselves. Apart from Christ, there's no way we can be kind of right. There's not anything that you can do that God's going to be like, oh, that, you're a good person. I'll let you into heaven. You only get into heaven because you're in Christ Jesus because he did the work for you. Not even one. No one is truly wise that hurt your feelings a little bit. The Bible will hurt your feelings if you really get down. And if you get down there and you really read the Bible for what it says about you, it will hurt your feelings. No one is wise. No one in and of ourselves, we're not even seeking God. You may say this morning, I came here seeking God. Okay, listen, maybe you did. Here's what I'd say. If you came here this morning seeking God, that is a supernatural act, the Holy Spirit in your life. You should be rejoicing and exciting that you even want to seek God, that you can seek God. That means God is working in your heart and in your life. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Y'all heard that's the old Roman road verse right there, huh? Man, that right there is leading you to salvation. You got to understand, you got to be lost before you can get saved. You got to realize you're drowning before you can be rescued, amen? 
We know that. So we all, we're not, we're not, that's not a mystery to us. But listen, it gets good. Verse 24 and 25. Yet God, in his grace. How many of y'all need God's grace this morning? Freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Mm. Glad I came to church this morning. For God predestined Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So what is repentance? A change of heart and action. A change of heart. Don't go too fast. Slow down. A change of heart first and action we're changing from sin towards obedience in God. So repentance isn't just about me changing my mind. It's about my heart being changed. And when my heart is changed, that's going to change the direction of my life. It's going to change my want-tos. It's going to change what I want to do, where I want to go, what I want to say, what I want to hear. Everything changes everything. So you know you're going to hear me say it again. This is not about behavior modification. Y'all should be sick of me saying that. I hope you are. Come to me after church and say, man, Dave, I'm sick of you saying that. I'll be like, praise the Lord. It's not about heart. Listen, it's not about behavior modification. It is about heart transformation. Y'all should be saying that with me by now, okay? I mean, the first time we see Jesus say anything in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, okay? Look at what he says. This is important. This is how he starts it off. After John, speaking of John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The euangelion of theos in Greek. Gospelizing everybody. The time is filled. Here's Jesus. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Here's the message. Repent and believe the good news. The euangelion. Repent. Here's how, this is what he says that you need to do. What's the first thing? <laughs> the first thing he says that you need to do is you've got to repent. Now, here's the problem. You can't do that in and of yourself. Right. Once again, that takes a supernatural work of God. So, so listen, this morning, God's got something for you this morning if you're going to listen. Not to me. If you listen to him. He's got something for every single one of us here this morning that will help us as far as this whole Christianity, following Jesus, Christmas, Easter, whatever you want to pile onto it, whatever, why you come to church and all that, it will help you with this. If you'll understand, this is vital in understanding. Number one on your outline right there. Let's go ahead and jump into this. Two of the most important aspects of our Christian walk are faith and repentance. Jesus said that. He said, you got to repent and you got to believe. So these are two of the most important aspects. So when you say, you boil it down and say, what is it, what does God want from me? I think, I think some of you need to ask that question. You need to think about that. What does God want from you? You thought about that? What does God want you to do? Is it just to come to church, sit in church and Listen to singing and watch the preacher jump and spit and holler. Yell at you a little bit. Make you feel bad. Is that what it's all about? I'm going to taste it. That's not my intention. My intention is not to come here to yell at you, holler at you, make you feel bad. My intention this morning, I'll tell you what I'm doing here. My intention this morning is to be faithful to the text. 
to show you what the Bible says, and then you deal with that. That's between you and God. That's none of my business, man. I mean, I, my, my load is coming here and just show you what the Bible says, and God takes care of the rest, and that's between you and God. Actually, it's not even any of my business, okay? So now, you got to ask this, your question, why are you here? What does God expect from you right here, right now, as we're reading the word of God, what does God expect? I think the hint was right there when Jesus said that I need to repent and I need to believe. So what have I got to repent of? Every single one, the Bible says every single last one of us is a sinner. All of us, all of us will sin. So I've got to come to God and say, you know what, God, I want to repent of my sin. Now you see you're sitting in a church right now and say, that's exactly what I expect, expect the preacher to say. But let me ask you a question. See, here's the here's situation. Our problem is this. We say that, we know that, we believe that, but we can't do that. Right. It takes a supernatural work of God. See, I've got to stop loving my sin. If I love my sin, then I'm not loving God. I can't come in and go, yeah, you know, I, I love Jesus, but you know, I love my sin also. <laughs> That would be like me telling Melissa, I really love you, Melissa, but I got these other women I love too, just as much as you. Maybe a little bit more. That would not be okay. We would not have a healthy marriage. You see what I'm saying? So I come to God and I say, God, you know, Jesus, I love you, but I really love my sin too. The Lord, let's go to the text. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, the personal name of God, every time you see that in all caps, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and you tell him, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may, that's always, everything about Exodus is to get them to the end of Exodus when they build the tabernacle and they're worshiping God. It isn't about freeing them from Egyptian slavery. Getting out of Egyptian slavery is only important so they can get to where they're worshiping God. Repenting every sin isn't just so you get out of sin. And so you can worship God. You can commune with God. You need, see, listen, you were created to worship. You're worshiping something right now. You worship something all this past week, don't know what it was, but you worship something, that's your choice. But if you refuse to let them go, Pharaoh, then I will plague right here. The Hebrew word right here is nagaf. Now, nagaf, what that means is that means I will strike or I will smoke is what God's saying. I will strike or smote all your territory with frogs. I mean, like, I would think if you said crocodiles, that'd be kind of scary. So, I mean, I got to think this first message that Pharaoh's like, they're going to come in. God's going to strike you with frogs. He's probably was like, <laughs> frogs? Okay. That sounds real scary. We can see, number two, we can see the goodness of God in our affliction when it leads us to repentance. You see, the thing about the frogs is this, is whenever it gets to the point to where frogs are everywhere, it becomes a problem. This is, this is not about hurting Pharaoh as much as it is about humbling Pharaoh, okay? The frogs, whenever they take over everything, that's when Egypt is a, it's the most powerful place on the face of the earth that the world had ever known. It was a beautiful, I mean, when people would walk up there to where Pharaoh lived and look around, I mean, the pyramids had already been built before this, by the way. 
beautiful, just amazing, what the, the technology that they had. I mean, like they were advanced. It was a beautiful place. But whenever it's covered in frogs, you can't even see anything but frogs. You can't hear anything. You know how loud frogs are, right? We live in the country out here. You get close to a pond at nighttime, those frogs don't shut up. Could you imagine how loud, how noisy, how slimy, and how stinky everything was? The Nile will swarm. Isn't that interesting? It will swarm with frogs. Man, they're going to come up and go into your palace. So in just the, the poor bleep, I mean, isn't that the, they got barricades, the palace to keep them out. They're getting in the palace, in Pharaoh's palace, into your bedroom, into your bed. Well, that must have been nice. Into your houses and your officials and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. I mean, everywhere frogs are going, every, the frogs will come up on you, your people, and all of your officials. There's no escaping the frogs. They're waiting. I mean, like, when they got up to the middle of the night to go to the restroom, they had to push the frogs off, step out of the bed, and they're stepping on frogs trying to, I mean, could you imagine Isn't it interesting? Revelation. So the judgment of God is what this is, okay? The frogs. There's always parallels in the New Testament. Look at this. Here's what it says in, in Revelation. This is strange. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of frost prop. There's the unholy trinity. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And John said that he saw unclean spirits coming out of each one of the three of their mouths, and they're like frogs. That's weird, isn't it? For they, they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. Now, there's an old Jewish song, goes like this for the children's song. One morning when Pharaoh woke in his bed, there were frogs on his head and frogs in his bed. Frogs on his nose and frogs on his toes. Frogs here, frogs there. Frogs were jumping everywhere. Boy, Pharaoh, aggravation. Man, can you imagine how aggravated he was? Beyond, everybody must have been beyond aggravated. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, canals, and ponds, and cause the frogs to come up onto the land of Egypt. When Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up and covered the land. You're not seeing anything in Egypt but frogs. You're not smelling anything but frogs, and you're not hearing anything but frogs. You might think you like frog legs, but man, on that day, nobody's liking frog legs. But the magicians did the same thing by their occult practice and brought up frogs. I mean, come on, man. Frogs are covering everything. I mean, Pharaoh must have been like, oh, that is wonderful. It's just what we need, more frogs. Thank y'all. Once again, we need the magicians to do the opposite. Not add to it, but they can't. Listen, here's the thing. I'm going to repeat myself from last week. They cannot go against the command of the Almighty. When the Almighty says there's going to be frogs, all they can do is just make more frogs. Imitate what God's doing. They can't stop it and reverse it. They need to stop it and they need to reverse it. Now, I mean, all they proved to Pharaoh was is that they could just make things worse and more stinky is all they, all they proved right there. Pharaoh must have been even more aggravated. Pharaoh summoned Moses because he, look at this. Oh, this is so interesting. There's a, listen, there's a change happens right here in verse 8. We see a change in Pharaoh. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and he said, pray to the Lord. 
Interesting, two interesting things are in this phrase. First of all, that Hebrew word is, is to pray. Second thing is, he says, pray to Yahweh. Last time we heard from Pharaoh, he said, I don't know this Yahweh. I don't know the Lord. Oh, now he's saying, now he's getting to know who the Lord is, isn't he? Now he's saying, I need you to go pray to the Lord for me. He's learned, I mean, he's learning things to remove the frogs from me and my people. Then I will let, then I will let the people go and they can sacrifice to Yahweh. A few things he's learned here. Pharaoh has learned God's name. Pharaoh is making a prayer request. Pharaoh is making a promise to God. Pharaoh is recognizing that God sent the frogs. But here, look, here's what I'm telling you. God has already told Moses that Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. I could, I could imagine Moses turning around and walk, turned to Aaron, they're walking out, and Aaron might have been like, oh, man, look at this. Man, Pharaoh's wanting us to pray. I'm saying, listen, calm down, dude. He is not changing. Go back to all the people and, you know, like, Listen, he wants us to pray for the frogs. He will, Pharaoh's asked us to pray. Just calm down. We're not going to get anywhere with him. God's already said he's going to harden his heart, okay? Pharaoh demonstrates how much someone, number three, can know about God without ever coming to know and worship God as almighty. Now, years ago, in the church, we used to go knocking, go to door to door, Door to door, knocking on doors. Man, I mean, like, go knock on doors, and people would open the door, did this for years. Some of y'all have done this too. Go knock. I never will forget how many people came to the door, and I'd be like, you know, just want to talk to you. I have my Bible right there. I want to talk to you a little bit about Jesus. How many people said, oh, we're all good here? I never asked if they were good. But that's like one of the number one things that say, oh, we're all good here. We believe in God. Okay, so. The Bible says that devils believe and tremble. It's not about believing in God. But I mean, like, so what Pharaoh did here is Pharaoh recognized that God sent the frogs. Pharaoh actually is recognizing that God is God, even though he won't admit it. He, he's asking for prayer requests, but he's not doing the praying. So what we're saying here is that you can, listen, we live in a nation, we live in the belt buckle, the Bible belt, where everybody, it seems like, knows about God, knows about Jesus, knows about the Bible, and knows about all this stuff. But here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Have I been converted? Have I been transformed? That's the most important thing. Am I, have I experienced true repentance? Moses said to Pharaoh, you may have the honor Interesting, man, this is an interesting structure in Hebrew right here. What he's pretty much telling right here is he's saying, I'm going to give you authority over me. In Hebrew is actually what he's saying. I'm going to give you the authority here, okay? I'm going to let you call the shot. You may honor, have the honor of choosing. When should I appeal? When do you want me to go pray on your behalf for you, your officials, and your people, that the frogs may be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the now? So think about this. Covered in frogs. Man, I mean, they got to be sick of frogs. So what would you expect Pharaoh to say? ASA, as soon as possible, right now? I mean, this is, I want to come to an end as quickly as, that's what we would expect right there, right? So why on earth would he say tomorrow? Why on earth would he want to spend one more night with the frogs? Okay, so right here, what this demonstrates is that Pharaoh was hoping, by hoping that by natural consequences that the frogs would come to an end. 
something else would come to the rescue and that God wouldn't get the credit. Okay? So right here when he says, tomorrow, then, then he's trying to put it off. He's trying to delay it as long as he possibly can so something else can work out where God doesn't get the credit. Tomorrow, he answered Moses, all right, as you said, man, that's what you want, that's what you get. So that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our Elohim. So delayed repentance demonstrates false, re false repentance. Anytime that I'm thinking, you know what, God, I'm going to repent a year from now, two years from now, next week, tomorrow, whatever it may be. All that's demonstrating is, is that I'm loving my sin and I don't really want to repent of my sin. Hey, let me tell you something. Be careful about making deals with God. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Man, God, you just get me out of this bind, out of this tie spot, and I will never or I will always fill in the blank. You ever done that before? Now, come on, you in church, tell the truth, all right? We've all done that. I've done that too. Man, cut a deal with God. God, you get me out of this bind, and I will do this for you. Here's the problem with that. It's all based on the emotion of the moment. As soon as the emotion of the moment is gone, the commitment is gone with it. It's because all I want from God is just to get me out of a bind. And the frogs will go away from you, your houses, your officials, and your people. The frogs will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron went out from the Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord for help concerning the frogs that he had brought against Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses had said. The frogs in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields died. This amazed me, by the way. I would expect Moses to pray against Pharaoh, not for Pharaoh. You know what I'm saying? I would expect Moses to walk out of there and be like, man, God, I'm going to send something else. For the just get it word. Just get him. Because See, we don't understand something. Adolf Hitler and Pharaoh right there on the same level. Same dudes right there, okay? Because when we read about Pharaoh, we see all the cartoons about Pharaoh and stuff like that. We make him out to be this, you know, this guy. Now, put Adolf Hitler in that. That's what the kind of dude he was. And I mean, so for for Moses to walk out of there and to pray for Pharaoh, that's pretty stout stuff right there, okay? Now, 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 hang on. See, because I'm pretty sure the Bible says, I would even say that Jesus says to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, do good to those who harm you. <laughs> that's easy to say in church, but hard to do on Monday, huh? Because when somebody's doing us harm, our flesh says, you harm them back, but even harder. That's what our flesh, and that's what the world teaches us too. And our, our flesh and the world are in agreement with that. So it takes a mighty work, the Holy Spirit, to change us to where like, it's not about me getting even or getting back. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. When we start taking vengeance and we take things, matters into our own, own hands, and we pull God right out of it. So let me ask you something. You got somebody doing you wrong right now? You got one or two choices. Either you try to take care of it and you make things worse, or you take your hands off and you pray and you let God take care of it, and he'll do it ten times better than you ever dreamed you could. But that takes patience and it takes faith. You got to step back and believe that God's going to do what's best for everybody involved. So I could tell you all about ten stories right now and just take you all the rest of the day if I wanted to. There is illustrations rolling through my mind right now 
of situations where I have seen where the person done wrong and they deserved bad things to happen to them and people took their hands off them. And what God did was that God in the long run changed that person's heart, saved them, regenerated them, and did a mighty work in them. I've seen that happen firsthand. Man, so I've seen people do stuff to me and step back and go, God, why do you let them live? That's injustice on every level. And God, years later, brought them to salvation, regeneration, and used them in a mighty way. See, here's the thing. You think you want justice for the people who have harmed you. But let me ask you a question. Do you want justice for the people that you've harmed? Uh, you may be saying right now, say, I never harmed anybody, man. I mean, I'm a good dude. Okay, listen, have you ever sinned against God? Do you want justice for that? No, I do not want that justice. I want grace and I want mercy. If I want grace and I want mercy, then it can't just be applied to me. It's got to be applied to everybody. So right now, you may have every right in the world to be wrong with that, those people, that person, that whatever it may be. But just know this. The message of Jesus is to pray for them, to love those that persecute you. Because in doing that, they no longer destroy you. Because when you get mad and you get angry and you want to get back, you are destroying you. They piled them in heaps upon heaps is what it says in Hebrew. Heaps upon heaps. And there was a terrible... <laughs> I can only imagine, man. I mean, like the hot sun and the sand. I mean, like it must have been an awful stench in the land. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, oh, God, forgive me. How many times when God sent the relief, I stopped praying? Come on, I'm not going to preach it to you. I'll preach it myself this morning, all right? How many times have I been caught in a bind and I prayed like I never prayed before, and as soon as I got out from under the bind, stopped praying so hard? All of a sudden, my religious affections got cooled down. It's interesting how when we get in the bind, all of a sudden our, our religion, our religious affections just get all stirred up and heated up. As soon as that bind, maybe cool right back off. And I saw there was relief. He hardened, who hardened his heart? Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Tremendous success. No, no, see, you understand this. This is success. This is exactly what God said would happen. It's all falling right in plan with God's plan right here. What is God's plan? To show himself strong. Not only to deliver them out of Egypt. See, remember, he could wipe out Pharaoh and all the Egyptians with one breath and have them, and then, then all the, 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 the Israelites could just walk out free. That's not the goal. The goal is to show himself strong. The goal is to draw the people to his heart. The goal is to get them worshiping him. So understand this, God is sovereign, God's in control. There's a reason why you're in the bind you're in right now, my dear friend. Now see, some of you right now, you're, you're thinking to yourself, how does he know I'm in a bind? Because you're breathing and your heart is beating. That's how I know. <laughs> True repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. Pharaoh's all about getting out from under the bind, but man, but did he ever turn to God? No, he never turned to God. Number six, when we repent, we train ourselves. How many of y'all are serious about training yourself? 
How many of y'all are working on training your spiritual life, training yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally? How many of y'all are involved in that? Any kind of training? How many of you going to school? How many of you training for work? Whatever it is, how, how many times have you been trained? I'm gonna you something. What advantage is there to being trained? Things gonna be like, when you, when you get trained, you're more proficient and efficient in what you're doing, right? So when we repent, we train ourselves to pray. You having problems with praying? We all are, it's okay. To hear God's word, you having problems with that? Yeah, man, join the crowd. And to obey God. See, we all struggle with these because we're in the world and in the flesh. But whenever we focus on God, help me repent. God, grant me repentance. Then we're training ourselves in these vital three areas right here. False repentance, true repentance. How do we tell the difference between the two? Pharaoh gives us a great illustration of this, by the way. Number one, false repentance on your outline right there is a change of action without a change of heart. The P right here, that's Pharaoh. When you see that on your outline, that's Pharaoh right there, okay? He is a great, man, I mean, like, he wanted to change his action without having any change of heart. Man, I've done that same exact thing a million times myself. Behavior modification. And it lasts until I get out of the parking lot. And how many times I've sat in church and listened to the preacher preach a sappy sermon or, or a sad sermon or get me all scared or whatever it is. Man, right there in the moment I cried and prayed and prayed just like, okay, God, man, you got me now. And as soon as I got in the parking lot, I didn't change my mind. As soon as I got out from under all that sappy stuff and those emotions he had messed with me, I got, listen, I want to tell you something. I have no desire to mess with your emotions, by the way. I don't want to be responsible to answer to God for that. I don't want to mess with your emotions, okay? That, when you hear me talk about the things that, that I see the word of God fighting against our cultural Christianity, that's one of the things that got to me. Listen, now, sounds like I'm talking about them. I'm talking about me. I have done that as a preacher, and I will answer for that. I have grown and learned that I don't do that anymore. True repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of action. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, and I will give you a new heart. So listen, are you listening to me saying amen? You gotta hear this. This is why you came to church this morning. If you don't hear anything else, you got to hear me now. You can harden your heart, but you cannot soften your heart. Only God can soften your heart. You can make it hard. All you got to do is just stop repenting, stop praying, stop reading your Bible, start anything. All you got to do is just do it, and your heart will naturally get harder. But you got to be praying and asking God to soften your heart. That's a work of God in your life. You've got to be seeking after that. You've got to be wanting that this morning. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So you, if you've ever responded to God... If God's ever done something in your life and you responded the right way and you joined God in what he's doing, you should be praising God right now. I mean, like, I know in your heart that's what you're doing. Praise the Lord that he did something and you joined him in that. Number two, false repentance is temporary. That's Pharaoh, man. Look, just get me out from under these frogs. Man, Jesus, take the will. But as soon as everything gets back under control, give it back, Jesus. I got the will now. I'm good. True repentance, man, it is lasting. Psalm 51, 12 through 13 says this. 
Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. God's got to give me a willing spirit. In and of myself, I'm not willing. Then I will teach rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Something lasting right there. Man, I'm going to be passing it on to someone else. Number three, false repentance hates the consequences of sin. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that's King Saul. Saul is the king right before King David. God told Saul, he said, go and wipe out the Amalekites. Wipe out their herds, their flocks, wipe all of them out. So Samuel's a prophet. After the battle is over with and Saul had won, Samuel comes in to town and he walks in there and he walks into where Samuel is. Samuel's like, man, I did exactly what God told me to do. And, Saul, and Samuel says to Saul, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears? And, and, and Saul's like, oh man, I, I won just like God told me to, but I just, the men in the army convinced me to hold back the best of the flocks so I could sacrifice them to God. That's what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna sacrifice them to God. And that's where you get from the Old Testament. To obey is better than sacrifice is the response he gives him. You should have obeyed completely. God's not interested in your sacrifices. He is interested in your complete obedience. Samuel turns to walk away. When he goes to walk away, Saul reaches out and grabs his garment, and his garment rips off in his hand, and he's holding a part, part of his garment. And Samuel says to Saul, just like you ripped my garment, God's about to rip the kingdom out of you and going to give it to somebody else, your neighbor. Speaking of the David, the little teenage boy out with a shepherd, you know, with a sheep. And here is what, listen, at that point, here is what Samuel says. Most ridiculous thing. I mean, Saul said, I'm sorry. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Please honor me now before the elders of my people. Really? That's all you care about is what you look like. Oh, yeah, all he cared about is what everybody else thought about him. Instead of falling down and saying, man, you're right, I sinned. I should have wiped them all out. You know, please pray to, pray to God to help me out. He's like, no, just go walk and put your arm up. Just like we always did, make me look good. That's what's wrong with American Christianity today, people. It's all about the way I look in front of other people. It's all about, you know, what people think about me, how I look. See, because whenever we have false repentance, here's what happens. We turn into mean, religious, legalistic people. And that's why we've got churches that are filled up today with people that are mean, judgmental, and legalistic, and all they're worried about is what everybody else is doing and not doing. Listen, when I get a grasp on how sinful I am and how good God is, then your sins don't bother me. Matter of fact, I'm not even seeing your sins. When I got the Holy Spirit working in me, all I'm seeing is my sin. All I'm worried about is my sin. All I'm worried about repenting of is my sin. I'm not worried about you sin, what you're doing, what you're not doing. Whenever I got false repentance, then I become prideful. I become, man, I think I'm all that and everybody else should be just like me. That's what's wrong with American Christianity today. So, I mean, is, is, is repentance a big deal? True repentance a big deal? True repentance hates sin. Just that, I mean, that's just it. It just hates sin. Here's what David said. So we go from Saul down to David. David says this, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I've done. And listen, if you feel strong conviction for your sins, that just means the Holy Spirit's working in your life. That's a good thing. I mean, somebody right now, you might say, man, I just, I feel so bad about my sin. 
That's a good thing. It's a dangerous thing. You get to the point where you're like, oh, you know, I'm not bad as the other person over there. They're a whole, I'm not, at least I don't murder and I'm not a rapist. I don't steal. You know, I, that's like, a, we've heard that our whole lives. At least I'm not as bad as those people over there. Okay, so, so that's when we're in a dangerous spot. That's when all of a sudden I start thinking that I'm a good person and that God owes me for something. But whenever I realize what my sins really are, what, my sin, what I owe God for my sins, then all of a sudden I realize that he is gracious. Thank God for that. And now I hate my sin because here's what my sin does. My sin pushes me away from God. It makes my heart hard and it makes me to where I can just sin and I don't really love God anymore. That's why I hate my sin. False repentance seeks to cover up sin. See, some of y'all right now, you're like, oh, man, mm, don't like that. Once again, all of us struggle right here. It is, listen, it, it, it doesn't naturally come to us where we're like, just want to go out and just tell everybody our sins. We just want to walk out and just be like, okay, here's all of my sins. Don't walk out and walk into work and be like, okay, listen, here's all my sins I committed this weekend. That's unnatural, okay? None of us want to do that. And see, here's the thing. It's not even so much about me telling you my sins, because, hey, listen, quite honestly, I'm going to tell you, listen, I have heard enough people talk about their sins. I'm not going looking for people. Come tell me your sins. It's about you telling your sins to God. Okay? It is about me telling God about what I've, my sins are. Look at this. This is what David said. When I refused to confess my sin to God, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. I said, what David's saying right here is he's like, man, whenever I was, I kept that sin, I tried to carry that sin, it was just too much. It was wearing me smooth out. Repentance seeks accountability. You know, we talk a lot about accountability partners around here. No, and hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you something. Here's the main thing. You know, one of our main issues, one of our main problems with churches, so like if you're coming, you're visiting our church or whatever, I, I know what your number one concern is, the same concern I have whenever I go and visit a church, can we trust you? That's what you're wondering. I mean, like, you get up here, and like, most of the time you go to churches too, and they're trying to get you to give you their money and trying to get you to join up, do things like that. So we're a little different here, okay? We're, we're praying that God's going to get a hold of your heart, and you're gonna, you and God are going to do something there, that you're going to be growing in your relationship with God. That's our number one concern. But still, you're going to wonder, can I trust them? Okay, so here is the culture of this church. The culture of this church is not about having trusted people in leadership. The culture of this church is about having accountable people in leadership, we don't look at each other and go like, man, you know, this, uh, I really trust him, I really trust her, whatever. It's about, are they, are they willing to be accountable? Am I willing to be accountable? Am I willing to have everything out there and have somebody ask me the hard questions? Am I, am I willing to have my phone to where I can just put my phone over here and give it to anybody, anytime, look through my phone all you want to, search it out? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to, for my family right there that, Listen, my wife, she, I told you all this before, most of the time if I'm driving, if you're talking to me and through text messaging, actually she's answering you. I'm just saying something and she's modifying over there. So she can fully get, she can walk in anytime, get into my computer, look through my computer. I welcome it. I'm not ever like, oh, listen, stay away from my computer. Don't give back that phone. Look at all of it. I want to be totally transparent. I don't want, I don't want to have any secret anything. Because listen, that will, the devil's just wanting me to get secret. How many times have you seen preachers get private and all of a sudden their private stuff goes public? The devil's all about that. 
So here's what I want to tell you. So if you come here and you think, man, can I trust these people or whatever? Then just ask us, how accountable are you? No, how, how, how trustworthy we are. We're human just like everybody else. We've got to be held accountable. Anytime that you're anywhere and you're going to come under their leadership, youth foundations, whatever it may be, how accountable are the leaders? That's the question we've got to be asking. Here's what David said. Finally, man, I confess all of my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. Mm. I said to myself, man, I'm going to confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. And here's the reward for repentance. All my guilt is gone. Isn't there an old hymn, My Guilty Stains? What is that? They don't know? Okay, we didn't, we didn't do hymns here. Anyway, so anyway, it's a great old hymn talks about that. You know? So I mean, like, all those guilty stains are gone. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. If I was Pentecostal right now, I'd be jumping up and down and singing hallelujah. I'd sing if I could sing. I'd grab one of those guitar things. I would do have a holy fit right now. That is good stuff. Real quick, false repentance assumes the basic goodness of one's heart. We looked at this last week or the week before. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, why do you call me good? There's none good except God alone. So his assumption was that he was good. And see, false repentance, it assumes that, oh man, Lord, help me right now. I'm about to get mean. Mm. Let that filter go right there. Lord, help me. Mm. Okay, so. It's not that 99% of people are good, okay? It's 100% of us are not good. <laughs> That's what the Bible's saying. We all need ye our heart. Look at this. True repentance realizes that our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Then the next verse gives us hope right there that God judges the heart. He, he's the one that knows one more. Y'all got time for one more? Man, I got about 10 people. I'm doing good now. False repentance attempts. There it is. We talk about it all the time. I'm just trying to make myself do right. I'm going to stop doing this. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. The devil wants you to be like, I'm going to buckle down, grab my boots. Hmm. I'm strong. I can do this. The devil's just sitting back going, <laughs> we'll see how strong you are, buddy. Just step right into that trap. Because then what, why he wants to do that? Because when we step into that trap, then he grabs us and he condemns us and he says, you are a sorry Christian. How can you even call yourself a Christian if you do something like that? The devil leads you right into sin. As soon as you fall into sin, then he jumps over in your back and beats you. You are a sorry Christian. You must not even be saved. To me, one of the most proficient Christians who ever lived, he wrote half the New Testament to Apostle Paul. Here's what he says. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Behavior modification never worked and never will. True repentance appeals to God for a new heart. It's what we've been looking at all morning long, a new heart, a new heart. God created me a clean heart. God, create, create. God's got to do the create. Create a, a, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit, a spirit that's going to want to stay with you, God. I got, you've got to do this in my life. 
Is this too much? Am I wearing y'all out? So we're rolling up on Christmas. And we have to be careful not to let our cultural Christianity make Christmas into something that it's not. Okay? A few more verses. I see some of y'all are suffering. I'll let you go. (laughs) He personally, speaking of Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep, who wandered away, but now you have turned. Man, I mean, like, now I don't know why the translators did not. This epistaphero right here, this means to repent. But now you have repented to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. You've been healed. You've been healed of your sin nature. You've been healed of your consequences of your sin. Have you been healed? I mean, like, man, that is so good. Okay, some of y'all are gonna get some Christmas cards or some of y'all are gonna send some Christmas cards that are gonna have Isaiah 6, 9 on it, okay? I'm gonna King James Version, all right? Here we go. For unto us a child is born. Y'all ever heard that before? Say amen if you've heard that before. For unto us a child is born 600 years before his birth once again. Unto us a son is given, past tense, and the government. What government is that talking about? Is that the American government? No. That is the spiritual government. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, when it's capitalized, speaking of deity. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Wait a second, we haven't had peace on earth this isn't a beauty pageant, you know, like the peace on earth. What's wrong with the whole peace on earth deal? It's not about, the Bible says that it's going to get worse as time goes on. Nations will rise up against nations. The peace on earth is a peace between you and God because your sins have been forgiven. And peace between me and you. Because our sins have been forgiven. The prince of peace. Of the increase of his, what government? The kingdom of God. Are you with me? The kingdom of God. Of the increase of the kingdom of God and his peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. The the justice is that Jesus died for our sins. God did did sit back and go, I'm just going to let everybody go off scot-free. He's a just God. Somebody had to pay for our sins, and so Jesus did that for us. So he's just, and the justice of this, it's been satisfied in the cross of Jesus. So what is this whole Isaiah 9? It's more than about the manger. It's about the cross. To order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. So what is Christmas about? It's about the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. God's zeal did this. It isn't that God got exasperated with us and it's like, oh, they gotta have some help, Jesus, go get them. It's his zeal from the very beginning. See, zeal isn't when you feel sorry for something or someone. Zeal is when you truly love. 
See, that's true love. True love is what births zeal. If you're zealous about anything, then I can show you what you love. The zeal of the Lord. So when we come to these next few weeks, as you walk into Advent, Advent is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Advent is preparing my heart for the birth of Jesus. As we move into this time right now, what this is all about is the zeal of the Lord for you and your soul. That you, listen, that you can be set free from your sin. That you can be brought into a relationship with God. That you can commune with God. Some of y'all are so close. Man, you're just skating around the edge. And nobody can push you in. That's your choice. You either go in, I'm all in, or you keep on skating around the edge. That's all saying. You know, it's, it's amazing, you know, you think about this. It's amazing the culture you and I live in. I can quote a, a, a movie right now, and I would say that probably 99% of y'all would know what movie I was talking about. Isn't that interesting in our culture that there's going to be a movie and we all know the movie? Somebody can quote the movie and we all know what the movie is. So at the end of a movie, here, I'll just, I'll, let's, let's play this game. We're at the end of a movie. Explosion takes place. There is a front yard decorative Santa Claus with a sleigh that goes flying through the air. And, you know, they see the Christmas star. It's like some of y'all laughing right now. You know what I'm talking about. Once again, it's a radar movie. All right, come on. I got clear play. All right, I'm good. And... Oh, Griswold says, you know, it means something special to everyone. Now I know what it means to me, but he doesn't say anything, does he? And I remember, I don't know what year that movie came out. I can remember when I first watched that. I wanted so bad for him to say something good. I wanted so bad for him to say something biblical, something Christian. But you know, my problem was as I was looking to the world for what only God can give me. Yeah, you know, I, I think about false repentance and true repentance. I don't know about you. I can remember this doing this more than I can remember doing this. I mean, like, maybe it's just because this hurts more and that sticks in my brain, I don't know. But like, as I went through this message, man, that was hard for me. I mean, like, when I was getting prepared for this, it was, it was like, you know, just being disciplined all the way through it. So, I mean, if you came here this morning, you're like, oh, goodness, man. I mean, this is Christmas. Aren't we supposed to have happy stuff? And, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just, 
But you know, in Romans chapter 7, when Paul said that I can't do what I want to do, you know what the great thing is? It's chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. He goes through all that, and he gets down to the end of chapter 7. He says, but thank God for Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 8, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So can you pray for God to soften your heart before we take communion now? We're about to take communion here in a moment. Let's pray a little bit. So God, I just pray that you would soften my heart, oh Lord. Can you pray that in your heart, in your mind? Soften my heart towards you, oh Lord. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Just revive my heart and my soul, O oh God. So as we were going through this sermon, there probably were some of you, you were thinking about some of your sins that, that you know, the preachers just call them the besetting sins. And what besetting means is that it got latched on to me and I just I keep asking God to forgive me, but I keep getting back into it. Okay, so if that's happening to you right now, if you're like, man, I know that God's sick of hearing me asking him to forgive me for this, then let me help you. So you need to pray something like this. God, I ask you to forgive me for, and you say that one more time, don't let the devil convince you you shouldn't ask. Now here's what you say. And God, grant me repentance from that. See now, God, help me to fall out of love with that. God, help me to see the destructive nature of what that's doing to me. God, help me to remember that when I choose to sin, I choose to suffer. God, help me to see the reality of what that really is spiritually and what it's doing to me. And grant me repentance from it. Communion is for people who are in Christ. Communion is for people who have got everything right between them and God and right between them and other people. So if this morning, if you are saved, you're in Christ, if everything's good between you and God, you're not holding grudges and hating other people or whatever it may be, then one of the most important things we do every Sunday morning is not just that we read the Bible, not just that we pray, not just that we worship, but we also commune with the Lord. So that means you're ready to commune with the Lord this morning. So if you want to get some elements, they're at the front, they're at the back. As usual, once you get them, have a seat, and we will go into our time of communing with the Lord together.
So if you'll look at the screen. <clears throat> For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, interesting wording right there. Who betrayed him? One of his own disciples betrayed him, and then all the rest of the disciples forsook him and left him. Yeah, so I mean, like if you've got some close friends or someone that you love deeply that has forsaken you or hurt you, then just know this, that that's the same exact thing that happened to Jesus. The one who said to forgive, the one who hung on the cross when they were spitting at him, they were mocking him, and he hung from the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the one right there. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, knowing fully what was going to happen, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead, if you haven't yet, let's go ahead and open up. So as we open this up and we look at this and we take a moment here to contemplate coming to the Lord's table, your relationship with the Lord, your forgiveness, the atonement, the new covenant, all those wonderful things. As you look at this right here, think about this. Advent season, God, 100% God, he became 100% man all at the same time without compromising his deity. He became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, paid your sin payment in full, imputed his righteousness to your account. Man, think about that as you look at this. What this truly means, as you sit at his table and something supernatural happens as we take this together. So you wanna pray with me, let's pray. So dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. You are my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's eat in faith. Looking at the screen in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what we saw in the book of Acts is that every Lord's Day, every Sunday when they got together, they observed what we call communion here. So let's go ahead and open up. This is what they did. So as we were going verse by verse through the book of Acts, we decided that we wanted to replicate the early church, and if they did it, then we want to do it also. So that's one of the reasons why we come together every Lord's Day and we observe communion. They were doing, man, they was, it was hot on their hearts that Jesus had not only died for their sins, but also the resurrection. They were thrilled about the resurrection and the ascension. So, Advent season, and we're thrilled about the birth of Christ. But let's don't ever lose sight of the cross, the burial, the resurrection. Let's don't ever lose sight of that's what it's all about. That's what he did for us. So, This is symbolic of the new covenant, the blood of Christ, the atonement, 
By the way, I can't wait till we get to Exodus when they cover their doorposts, man. I'm going to have a holy fit that Sunday. You might want to stay home, okay? I'm going to get nuts on that Sunday. This is even better. This, we come under by faith. God's grace. Man, it's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for your atonement. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Savior. And you're my Lord. Let's drink in faith. So before you stand up and before you leave, there's one thing that's running through my mind right now, and I want to tell you, train yourself in godliness. So when you're trained, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Okay? Sorry, Billy, I got to talk about you right here. didn't ask for your permission, but I know you're tough. You can handle it. So some of y'all watched a video of me and Billy fishing. So like, um, learned so much from him. I mean, like when I got in the boat with him, like there's a big gap between his understanding of fishing. He's a professional fisherman, fished all these years. Here I am, just a recreational fisherman. And here's what I'll tell you. At times it was a little embarrassing because of what he, what I didn't know. But man, I learned so much. And, and being with somebody that knew a whole lot more than me, it was worth the embarrassment to get to learn what they know. I got trained. I've watched his videos for years. Man, when I got in the boat with him, it totally exponentially changed that to be right there with him. Here's the interesting thing. I, mean, I joke with Bill and I said, man, I'm a Euro Lake Fort God disciple. Just joking with him, but that's where I learned. But you are a disciple of Christ. That means that Christ wants you to get in the boat with him. That he wants to train you. And at times it's going to be a little embarrassing and a little bit uncomfortable. But the question is, are you willing to do that? And I'll tell you, it is worth the cost of that if you'll be willing to do that. Let's all stand this morning. So God, we pray today that as we leave out of here, that you would stir our affections for you, God, that, that, God, that we would come to know you in a new way this coming week, that you would stir our desire to train, be trained in godliness, to get close to Jesus, to bear the embarrassment, to take the humility, whatever it takes, God, for us to be trained in godliness, that you would put a desire in our heart to seek you early every day. So as you leave out today, I want to pray number six, 24 through 26 over you. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as you go in Jesus' name.